Section six of Ruth of Boston. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ruth of Boston, a story of the Massachusetts Bay Colony by James Otis. Section six. The Town of Boston. The first thing which was done by the governor and his advisers, after we had moved from Charlestown, was to change the name of Trimountain to that of Boston. As you must remember, Boston, in England, is near to the home of Captain John Smith, who explored so much of this new world, and planted in Jamestown a prosperous settlement. It was also in Boston that the Lady Arabella and the preacher John Cotton, who had promised to come here to us, had lived. Therefore did it seem, as if such were the proper name, for a town which we hoped would one day, God willing, grow to be a city. It is true our new village is built in a rocky place, where are many hollows and swamps, and it is almost an island, because the neck of land which leads from it to the main shore is so narrow that very often does the tide wash completely over it. But yet, after that time of suffering in Charlestown, it seems to us a goodly spot. Our dwellings, except the great house, are made of logs, and the roofs thatched with dried marsh grass, or with the bark of trees. That each man shall have so much of this thatching as he may need, the governor and chief men of the village have set aside a certain portion of the salt marsh nearby, where any one may go to reap that which is needed for his own dwelling, but no more. In time to come, so father says, we shall have chimneys built of brick or stone, for when our settlement is old or grown, some of the people will, in order to gain a livelihood, set about making bricks, and already has Governor Winthrop sent out men to search for limestone, so we may get mortar. But until that time shall come, we have on the outside of our houses what are called chimneys, which are made of logs plastered with clay, or of woven reeds besmeared both as to the outside and the inside with mud, until they are five or six inches thick. Guarding Against Fires It needs not for me to say that these chimneys are most unsafe, for during our first winter in this new town of Boston, Hardly a week passed but that one or another caught fire, and among the first laws which our people passed was one providing for the appointment of fire-wardens, who should have the right, and be obliged, to visit every kitchen, looking up into the chimneys to see if peradventure the plastering of clay had been burned away. Because of the number of these fires, and the likelihood that they would continue to visit us frequently, another law was made obliging every man who owned a dwelling of logs to keep a ladder standing near by, so that it might be easy to get at the thatched roof if the flames fastened upon it, and as soon as might be iron hooks with large handles were made to be hung on the outside of the buildings, for the purpose of tearing off the thatch when it was burning. It has also been decided that when we have a church, as we count on within a year, a goodly supply of ladders and buckets shall be kept therein, for the use of the entire town, and then, when a fire springs out, our people will know where to go for tools with which to fight against it. OUR NEW HOME It must not be supposed that because of our dwellings being unsightly on the outside, that they are rough within, 
for such is not the case. Many of the settlers, as did father, brought over glass for the windows. Therefore, we are not forced to put up with oiled paper, as are a great many people living in the new world. It was partly the dampness inside our homes, so Governor Winthrop believed, which caused the sickness at Charlestown, and therefore it was that my father insisted we should have a floor of wood, instead of striving to get along with bare ground, which had been beaten hard. Our floor is made of planks, roughly hewn, it is true, but nevertheless it serves to keep our feet from the ground. We have on the door real iron hinges, instead of leather, or the skins of animals, as we saw in Salem. Save for the roughness of the floor and the walls, the inside of my father's house is much the same as we had in England, for he, like all of Governor Winthrop's company, who were able to do so, brought over the furnishings of the old home, and while some of the things look sadly out of place here, they provide us with a certain comfort which would have passed unheeded in the other country, because there we were, not much better off in this world's goods than were our neighbors. Here, when I see a table made only of rough boards spread upon trestles, I can get much pleasure out of the knowledge that we brought with us those tables, which we had been using in England, and, when our dinner is spread, save for the difference in the food, I can well fancy myself in the old home. We have our ware of pewter and of copper, and our trencher-bowls are of the best that can be hewn from maple knots. In order that the walls and crevices, filled with moss and plastered over with clay, may not offend the eye, Mother has put up all the hangings which she brought with her, and these, with some skins my father bought at Salem, hide entirely that which is so unsightly in other dwellings. Contrasting our home with many which we saw in Salem, or in Charlestown, I am come to believe my lines are truly cast in pleasant places, and I strive to be thankful to God for having given me the father which I have. THE FASHION OF THE DAY I am afraid it may be almost sinful for me so to set my mind upon the garments which one wears, and yet I cannot but contrast my father with some of the common men in the village. The ruff which he wears around his neck is always well starched, clean, and stands out in beautiful proportions. On his low, peaked shoes, Mother ever has fixed rosettes, or knots made of ribbon. His doublet, which is gathered around the waist with a silken belt, is slashed on the sleeves to show the snowy linen beneath. His trunk hose, meaning those which reach from his waist to his knees, are of the finest wool. His stockings, when he is dressed to meet with a council, are of silk, while his mandolin, or cloak, is always of silk or velvet. Perhaps one may think such attire hardly befitting a wild place like this. Yet I know of nothing which serves to set off a man's figure, making him seem of importance in the world, better than that he be clad with due regard to the fashion of the day. Master Winthrop would not present the gentlemanly appearance, which he does, if he were, as do the common people here, a band or a flat collar with cord and tassels, breeches of leather, and a leather girdle around his waist. If he had, as they do, heavy shoes with heels of wood, or if his clothing were fastened together with hooks and eyes, instead of silken points, and if his hat were of leather, would we be pleased to call him governor?' 
My mother often says that it is unseemly in a child like me to speak of the clothing worn by gentlemen, and yet I have noticed often and again that she is as careful of my father's attire when he goes out of doors as she was at home in England, where all gentlemen were dressed becomingly. Verily, one need not go abroad in tatters or oddities simply because of having come into this new world, where much of work is required, and he who cares for his personal appearance, to my way of thinking, is to be given due credit. Surely so the Massachusetts Bay Company thought, for they furnished to every man who came from England to settle here, save it be those who could afford such things for themselves, four pairs of shoes, and the same number of stockings, four shirts, two suits of doublet, and hose of leather lined with oiled skin, a woolen suit lined with leather, together with four bands and two handkerchiefs, a green cotton waistcoat, two pairs of gloves, a leather belt, a woolen cap, and two red knit caps, a mandolin lined with cotton, and also an extra pair of breeches. Of course, such an outfit was for the common people, not the gentle folk. In our company, the boys are clothed exactly as are their fathers, and many of them present a most attractive appearance, although my mother would not think it proper for me to say so, much less to put it down in writing. MY OWN WARDROBE it surely cannot be wrong for me to think of that which I wear, for if the good Lord had given me a comely body, why shall I not array it properly? Or, if it be wrong, why did my father buy for me those things, a list of which I am here setting down, not from vanity, but simply to show how kind were my parents? I had a cap ruffle and a tucker, the lace of which cost five shillings a yard, eight pairs of white kid gloves, with two pairs of colored gloves, two pairs of worsted hose, and three pairs of thread, a pair of laced silk shoes, and a pair of morocco shoes, not to speak of four pairs of plain Spanish shoes, or two pairs made of calfskin for everyday use, a hoop coat, and a mask to wear when the wind blows too roughly, and a fan for use when the sun is hot. Susan had two necklaces, one of garnet and one of jet, but I had only garnets. Then I have a girdle with a buckle of silver, a mantle and coat of lute-string, a piece of calico to be made up when mother has time, four yards of ribbon for knots or bows, and one and one-half yards of best cambric. All these were bought especially for me when we left home, and surely it can be no sin that I take pride in them. MASTER JOHNSON'S DEATH It was shortly after coming to this town of Boston that we heard of the death of Master Johnson, Lady Arabella's husband. A friendly man was he, ever ready with a kindly word for us children, and we would have mourned his loss much more, but for knowing that it pleased him right well to go out of this world of sorrow, that he might join his wife in God's country. Susan and I had hoped we should hear of no more deaths among those we cared for, after having come into this last place of abode, and the news of Master Johnson's taking away caused her superstitious fears to break out anew, but I reminded her that we were in God's keeping, whatsoever might befall, and that for us to look forward into the morrow, searching for evil, was the same as an injustice to our Maker who would do toward us whatsoever seemed good in his sight. 
As I look back now upon the time when our town of Boston first came into being, I can understand how well it is for us that we may not read the future. Had we at that time, when the winter was coming on, known how much of sorrow and of suffering was in store for us, before the earth would be freed from its bonds of ice, then I believe of a verity we must have given up in despair. However, it is not for me to look ahead even in this poor attempt at setting down what we did in the new land. Rather let me look back to our home life, and tell somewhat concerning the odd dishes which were frequently set on our table. End of section 6